0: This lecture is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Deacon Danny Cahoot. I have been studying in the last few weeks, actually a few months, all the mountains of God, all the mountains in the Bible, and uh, the covenants. And we have started, uh, we started with Moriah, and as a Six, six weeks of lessons in that because Mariah was where Abraham was offered and now I don't want to get back into that then uh, we moved on to uh, Mount Ararat where there's so much there involved with Noah but here in the last few weeks I'm going to do a little bit of review we have been on Sinai and let's we're going to turn to Exodus chapter 3 first. When I just got to studying this Mount Sinai, I had no idea the massive amount of, of things about it that I did not know. But in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, now I'm going to say a few things here that I'll have to back up with scripture as I go along. This is the first thing that happened. This is Mount Sinai. Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. And I'll show you that in the scriptures. They're both the same. So when Moses first led the Egyptians out of, the Hebrews out of Egypt out, right before that, he saw the burning bush. Now the burning bush he saw was on Horeb and he was keeping a flock. And he saw this thing that was a burning bush and the Bible says that there was an, he saw an angel in the fire. So it wasn't just a little tingling bush over here that was burning. It was a huge bush that was flaming. And he saw an angel it. he said, man, I got to see that. And he got closer, there was no heat. And all. God said, take your shoes off. And this is when he first told uh, Moses to go deliver the people. That's the first thing on Horeb or Sinai. Then when he led the people out, they came to the Sinai Peninsula. And this is where they called it Sinai. But let's read this verse first. Chapter three, verse one of Exodus. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock on the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, Horeb. See, it's called the mountain of God, but I'll show you in the scriptures and other, as we go along. Sinai was also called the mountain of God, and uh, I found some interesting things about Sinai about that that we're going to cover. I'm falling everywhere on I got about the last six months of lessons. All right, Mount Horeb. And then uh, today it's called Jebel Musa. That's what they call it. They call it the Mountain of Moses. It's 7,497 foot high. It's between the Gulf of Suez and the Gulf of Aqaba in the Sinai Desert. Okay. I'm going to have to set some of these down. I'm going to fall off. The second thing that happened is Moses led these people to the Sinai Peninsula. God called him up to the top of the mountain and gave him the Ten Commandments. He came back down and delivered to the people. Now that's, there was a, a whole lot of lessons in between that, getting to that. But here's where we're going to end up today is there's two other things that happened on Sinai that was directly three, but the, the building of the tabernacle. God had gave him the definite dimensions of the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. Those were the the main key things of the mountain of God, the burning bush, the Ten Commandments, the building of the tabernacle, and the Ark of the Covenant. But I'm going to jump to something real quick here, and then this will come down the road here, which fascinated me. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 19 for just a second. I never really put the two together, Elijah. I never did. Have, I mean, I've been through this Bible. This is my 30th time cover to cover studying from one end to the other. And I never put this, this together here. So if you go to 1 Kings chapter 19, and I'm not going to cover the story of Elijah. We'll get to that when we get to Mount Carmel. And uh, that's coming down the road. But it says in verse 8 of chapter 19, this is Elijah after Jezebel put a a death tag on his life. He got depressed and left. But it says here he went, let's see, verse 8 of chapter 19. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days. So he's traveling 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. Elijah went to Mount Horeb. And, I, and that's Sinai, and I just, that, we're going to get to that. I just thought, just thought that was interesting through my study as I bounced back. He went backwards, as he, and he, he, it was a 40-day journey, and, uh, but that's diff, that's, that, we'll cover that here later. But that is, that's going to be important as we get through the mountains. So now let's flip back to uh, the tabernacle. Let's go to, uh, there's several things I'm going to show us here. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6. I'll get going here in a minute after we lay the foundation for today. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6. Come on, I got too much stuff up here. Hang on. Deuteronomy 1, 6. The Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb. This is, the, this is when they were getting ready to get into Canaan. Ye have dwelt long enough on this mount Turn, take your journeys and go to the Mount of Amorites and to all the places. So here he is. This, this is where they were. A lot of people don't realize. I'm going get to get, cover this in just a second. Let me find my picture. I must have it up here. Well, where's that? Hang on, here it is. Not nope, that ain't it. Excuse me. I normally got this thing. Did that? Come on, man. Here it is, one of them. I'm going to have to use a faded one. When they were on Mount Sinai and Moses had went up to the, t- to the top of the mountain and got the Ten Commandments and came back down, the Lord, he followed them in a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. We covered this a little bit last time. And a pillar, a pillar is used to hold up a structure. And it's, and it's stretched up. To get a better understanding of it, after they built the tabernacle and the priests were going and laid the blood on the mercy seat, the fire would come down on top of that tabernacle where it's at. And I'm going to cover quite a bit of this in a minute. And, uh, but this is kind of what a pillar would look like, the pillar of fire over the tabernacle coming down from God. And the, the same was a pillar and a cloud during the day. This cloud would go and the whole, I mean, you're talking about two and a half million people because you got a million men, outside the women and children and proselytes that were not Jews, and they were just following, and they were following. And when the pillow stopped, God said, that's where you erect the tabernacle. It's time, and, and the first one was on Passover. We covered Passover before, and God said, you will honor this feast unto me. This was a, man, this was a feast that God, God commanded them to obey. And so when the pillow of fire or pillow of cloud stopped, Moses... God told Moses, here's where I want you to put the tabernacle up. They would erect the tabernacle and it wasn't a certain location at that point. It was was the day, the Passover. They erected the tabernacle and put it up and we're going to cover here in a minute what went on in that tabernacle. But that's how when the high priest went behind that veil. And see that veil, you're talking the first one, the first veil was 30 foot wide, 30 foot tall, and 4 inches thick they put four horses on each quarter of it, corner of it and tried to rend it before they put it up. The temple, it was 60 foot high. And that, that's important when we get to the veil. I'm getting ahead of myself. But when that high priest, the only one that was allowed behind that veil, would bring that, that, that blood sacrifice from the, from the animals there and place it on the mercy seat, he would stand back and that fire would come down and God would accept it. To cover the sins of the people for another year. That's a tremendous thing that when you, when you vision, I never put this in my mind until I started studying how Jewish tradition is. This is exactly how it was. The pillar came down from God and took that sacrifice and accepted it. That's important to where we're getting ready to head. Okay. Have you got that ready? Okay. I'm gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna cover a whole lot about the tabernacle. This is, I'm going to show a little five minute video as we get to the tabernacle and I'm going to get into some really, really powerful stuff on it, but let's show this for a second because we're going to show the tabernacle. We're jumping ahead a little bit, then I'm going to back up and explain a whole lot about it, uh, but let's show it. I hope y'all don't mind, but this is really important. This is, this is, in Mount, in in the Potemna Park, they've got an exact duplicate replica of this tabernacle. This is how
1: the tabernacle of Moses. The tabernacle, Hamishkan. The Hebrew word means dwelling place. It was where God dwelled with his people, and its elements show us how to relate with God. After delivering the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, God gave them detailed instructions on how to build this dwelling. Once constructed, the Lord descended on the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud. The curtains separated the whole tabernacle from the rest of the Israelite encampment. In this courtyard was the tabernacle's largest piece of furniture, the altar. A wooden box covered with bronze, the altar was shaped as a square, measuring approximately seven and a half feet long and seven and a half feet wide. From top to bottom it stood about four and a half feet. Hollow space inside the box allowed priests to insert coals. Above was a bronze grating, where priests would lay animals for sacrifice. A horn of one piece with the altar stood at each corner. Four bronze rings under the ledge allowed one to insert carrying poles so the Israelites could transport the altar. Between the altar and the tent of meeting was a bronze laver. Priests had to cleanse their hands and feet here before offering sacrifices or rendering the tent. Within the inner tent stood one of the most recognized elements of the whole tabernacle, the menorah, a lampstand with three branches that rose on each side to create a total of seven lamps. This solid gold lampstand weighed about 75 pounds. Each lamp was a small cup that the priest would fill with oil to fuel the light. Each branch in the middle of the shaft had almond blossoms. The menorah served a most practical purpose. It was the only source of light in the tent, an eternal light that was never to go out. Also in the tent stood a wooden table covered with gold. On it was to always remain the bread of the presence. The bread of the presence symbolizes God's desire to be with his people. Incense was to burn continuously on the altar. God instructed the priests to replenish the incense every evening and morning. The curtains separated the holy place from the holy of holies. The menorah, the altar of incense, and the bread of the presence were all in the holy place, but outside this veil. Like the curtains covering the tent of meeting, this veil was blue, purple, and scarlet, with cherubim, a kind of angel. Beyond the veil at the far end of the tabernacle was the ark. The ark was a wooden box covered with gold. It was nearly four feet long. Its width and height were about two feet, three inches. Like the altar, the ark had rings and poles so the Israelites could carry it as they traveled. Within the ark were the two stone tablets on which God had written the Ten Commandments. Later, it contained a sample of manna and the rod that bloomed to reinforce Aaron's leadership. The mercy seat was the ark's lid and features prominently on Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. At each end stood a cherub facing the other with its wings outspread. This cover was made of solid gold. The priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on this mercy seat, symbolizing that the nation's sins were covered for another year. While only the high priest would see it, the mercy seat was the key symbol of atonement that God would forgive his people. Though daily sacrifices on the altar were necessary for payment of sin, it was only through the mercy seat on the day of atonement that the stain of sin was washed away. While priests had to make repeated sacrifices, one man offered a sacrifice to atone for sin once and for all. When Jesus, the Messiah, died, he sprinkled his own blood before God, securing atonement forever for all who would trust in him. Jesus cleanses us, makes us pure, and enables us to rightly approach the Lord. He tore the veil that kept distance between Israel and the Lord. God dwelt among the Israelites through a tent. Now he dwells within his people through the Spirit.
0: So, as we get through, as we move forward, the tabernacle is a forerunner of Jesus Christ himself because before they would do the animal sacrifice, and we've covered this before, and deep, all the priests would be allowed inside of that inner court. That, that behind the veil of the temple, only the high priest, and he would have a special robe worn and the breastplate, he would have 12 stones, which represented the 12 tribes of Israel and he would come in with the animal sacrifice that the, that the other priest, they slay the animal, and he had on the bottom of this road bells hung. And uh, so that it, when, if the spell the bell stopped, that means he was dead. And the rope tied to him, and they would pull him out, meaning that he won't write. So he would go in trembling with the sacrifice for the people. And he would just, I mean, can you, can you imagine? And this is how, how we should approach God today. If we want our prayers answered, we ought to look at a holy God. He's a good God. He's a holy God. He wants nothing but the best for us. And so when we go to him through Jesus Christ, we have to get clean. We have to sanctify ourselves. And we have to get clean because if we hide iniquity in our heart, God says he will not hear us. And so if we just wash ourselves and cleanse ourselves and just approach God. Oh God, I need you. I need you for whatever it is you got. And approach him with humbleness because you can't get to God unless we're clean. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ. And that goes back to when I see the blood, I'll pass all over your transgressions. When I see the blood. And so when Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed that blood, he one time went to the mercy seat up in heaven and God and presented his own blood for somebody like me who don't deserve it I don't deserve a thing God gave me but when I I make sure that when I approach a holy God that I'm right because I don't want to, to, to come in there just Lord thank you for my food I want to say oh God you provided another meal thank you I want to just come in and say I don't want nothing praise your name You're the highest of highest. You're the almighty. And just give him praise sometimes with our life. We can't do that if we don't clean ourselves up and sanctify ourselves before we get to him. And when Jesus Christ went and presented his own blood for us, the veil of the temple, which four horses could not rent, we're going to to cover that later, was rent from top to bottom in half. And now we have a direct access. There's one mediator between God and man, and that's the Christ Jesus. He became our high priest. So when we have come to Jesus, we say, oh, Lord Jesus, forgive me. It's removed. It's gone. We've got forgiveness. We can approach a holy God. We don't need a high priest. Jesus is our high priest. He's, he's our representative. And so there's, there, the tabernacle is a forerunner of this. If you look at how much detail, see from Genesis to Exodus chapter 20, it's pretty easy to, to, to flow through it and get the story. But chapter 20, everything slows down. God is so much into detail, so much into organization. Let's see. He is a God of order and holiness. He establishes his holiness. He establishes honor and respect and in, in the, in the value of a sacrifice see the sacrifice of these people their animals were their living when they offered their their animals they would, they would have to be clean animals they would have to suffer, and they would have to give up and sacrifice something that was that was good for them their living their best of their best had to come to that altar and be sacrificed and they had to do it willingly and and so so the value of the sacrifice to them was the value that Jesus Christ even showed that God showed us the value of a sacrifice He gave Himself, and uh, let's go to Exodus chapter forty real quick, and we're going to cover just a few things, pretty much what we've what we've done here as far as today. Exodus chapter forty, verse one, and the Lord spake unto Moses saying on the first day of the first month, which is April to them, that's Passover. He's telling them, you set the tabernacle up. Set the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. And one thing about that uh, video there when he's talking about the bread, they they call it, the Jews call it the bread of presence, but that's the showbread. That's just showing the providing of God. And what would happen is on the showbread, that the Jews, the priest would switch every week. Uh, the, the different priests would switch their duties every week, and they would go in and they prepared a show bread. And at the end of their week, they would eat that bread. And the the new priest that would come in for that week is called a course. And I'm not we're, we're getting into that at Christmas time, but they would come in with fresh bread. It wasn't bread that would mold. And each they would have twelve loaves, one for each tribe. Let's see, verse two, verse three. I, had to say, I wanted to cover that because some people say, well, that's not that's, they said the dead bread of presents. That's what the Jews call it. So the video is not contradictory. It's the showbread. On the first day of the first month, shalt thou set up the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. As this won't no small, small thing. They call the tent of the congregation, that's the tabernacle. That's the sanctuary. That's God meeting with these people. God was ready to meet with these people. The cloud, the pillar of fire, the pillar of, would stop. Thou shalt put therein the ark of the testimony and cover the ark with the veil. The veil is critical because only the high priest could get in front of that mercy seat where that ark was when the blood was, was, was put in. And thou shalt bring in the table and set in order the, thing, the things that are, on, that are to be set in order upon it. And thou shalt bring in the candlestick and the light lamps thereof. Thou shalt set the altar before the, of gold before the incense before the ark of the testimony and put the hanging of the door of the tabernacle. Reason why I'm reading this after the video, because reading this, it's hard to, understand, to get a visual of what they actually had to do, of what they were actually doing, how powerful the tabernacle was. They were, they were showing Christ in the future. And uh, people a lot of times ask I've, I've, I've I learned so much from my pastor. I'm telling you. It's, it's, he may be my brother, but when I sit at the table of his feet and I listen, I can't tell you the countless times he has helped me pull through. And he said this before, and I've, I've learned from it, and I've studied from it, that Old Testament saints look to the cross, that he would come, that he is the Messiah. He's coming. The New Testament saints, we look back to the cross. He did come. He did die. He did, he did rise from the dead. God raised him from the dead. And so it's, it's, it's a powerful thing. This right here is showing these people that the Messiah is going to come. Their sins will be covered. There's scripture to back all this too, but I put, we're, for the sake of time, we're just. I just had to throw that in, that, that these people, that the, the tabernacle set up, and when Solomon built the temple, first temple, On Moriah, outside of this gate, the gate was brick now. The the temple was set up directly the same dimensions, exactly like these tabernacles that was portable. When they came into the Canaan and they came into Jerusalem and Solomon said, we're going to build this temple on Moriah. We covered that back when we were on Mount Moriah. The exact dimensions of it. On this tabernacle, they didn't show it here, but there's an east gate entrance to that veil. And it's on, it's, you come through that curtain from the east. The, side, the, the gate on the temple, the eastern gate, we'll get—not I keep saying we'll get to it. I don't want to get to another lesson. That eastern gate right now, when, when Solomon built it, was built towards the entrance of that temple, of that, that sanctuary. Not the outside gate. The out, eastern gate was pointed directly to the entrance of the temple. And uh, let's see, let me get ahead here. All right, verse eight. Thou shalt set the, up the court round about to hang the hangings of the court gate. Thou shalt take the anointed oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is therein. And thou shalt hollow it in all the vessels of, and it shall be holy. The Holy Spirit all along through the scripture is is. is, prep, is Referenced as oil. Kind of like when there were, the virgins were out there and there was, some had oil and some didn't. And they said, give us your oil. They were ready. Oil is a type of Holy Spirit. I said, no. I'm, I'm giving you my oil. I could have came anyway, but I'm going to want to go to that part, of, that part of that. Verse 10. And thou shalt anoint the altar of the burning burnt offering and all the vessels and sanctify the altar and it shall be altar of the most holy. Thou shalt anoint the laver and his foot and sanctify it. And thou shalt bring Aaron and his sons into the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and wash them with water. This is backing up just a little bit. And I'm going to miss out a lot of it, but I'm just going to tell you the brief history on this. that The, the priests had to be Levites. What happened was that they were trying to figure out which, which direction to go. And God says, get every single tribe, their leader, to get a rod and set, and set it up. This, I'm, missing, I'm not covering all of it. And said, the one that buds, that's going to be the leader. That's going to be the high priest. That's going to be the priests and, and sons of it. And so they set the rods up. And the next morning, they came out, and Aaron's rod has blooms and bloods and almonds, almonds growing all on it. And the Levite, they, the whole Jewish nation visualized that and saw that Aaron was the high priest. And the priests following were Aaron's sons. We've covered that in detail before. And uh, we'll cover it again towards Christmas. You, I keep saying that, but, but you know where I'm going. But I teach that same lesson every year on that. But that rod became a symbol. Okay, he will be the high priest. And Aaron became the high priest. So here we are. That's, this is why Aaron, we're up to Aaron right here. and All right. Verse 13, and thou shalt put in upon Aaron the holy garments and anoint him and sanctify him that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt bring his sons and clothe them with coats. And thou shalt anoint them as thou did anoint their father that they may minister unto me in the priest's office for their anointing shall be sure, surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout the generations. The Levites were the priests. They were the priests. All the other tribes, they, they didn't have to do the work. All they did was carry their instruments and carry everything needed to set up to wreck the tabernacle, take the tabernacle down. They, they, didn't, they weren't like the, the other tribes. Thus did Moses, verse 16, according to all that the Lord had commanded him. And it came to pass in the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was reared up. And Moses reared up the tabernacle and fastened the sockets and set the boards thereof. And he reared up the bars and thereof and reared up his pillars and spared, spread abroad the tent cover there, over the tabernacle and put the cover of the tent upon it as the Lord had commanded him. And he took and put the testimony of the ark, the ark of the covenant. And he set the staves of, of the ark and put the mercy seat upon the ark, above the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil covering and covered the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded him. Well, I'm going to skip a little bit because they're just going straight down there for the sake of time. Okay, verse 33. And he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court. And so Moses was finished. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation. That's the whole tabernacle. That's the entire thing. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereupon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the children of Israel went forward and went onward in their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, the journey not until the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day and fire was upon it by night in the sight of the whole of Israel, house of Israel throughout their journeys. I, I had three different pictures that we gave you the other time, but when they would erect that tabernacle, it was no small thing. It's sometimes they say it's going to take two months to even set the whole thing up. It takes less time to take it down. But Moses, even though he was a Levite because he was Aaron's brother, he was not the high priest. He could not go in behind the Holy of Holies. He had two veils. The first veil, where all the elements were set up, and, but behind that second veil, only one. Only one man. Only one man. And this is how forerunner of Christ, he, the high priest, then would take that sacrifice and put it on the mercy seat. This, it's a perfect, perfect picture of Christ. We can talk, cover that in Hebrews, where he became a high priest. The blood of bulls and goats was no longer any good, that it was done. One time he entered into the holy holies. For us, we don't have to keep getting saved over and over again. Once we're saved, we're covered. And when these people were coming, none of these people, half of these people, weren't right. When they were coming off a of sacrifice, and it doesn't. When they, even when they, even when they, when they were delivered out of Egypt. When the Lord said, you, put, you sacrifice the animals, and when I see the blood on the doorpost, I'm going to pass over that house. And they, the, anybody that was under the blood, it didn't matter what they had done, where they were, who they, their names or nothing. When they were under the blood, God, that death angel would pass over them and pass over them, and they would not be judged for that. The Lord said back then, we I' not going to cover that again, but... When I see the blood, I'm going to pass over you. And this was the first Passover here when they erected this oil, this tabernacle. And when you accept Christ as your Savior, I'm talking about total repentance. I mean, not head knowledge. The devil believes. Let me tell you something. A lot of people say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. That's good. Yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, that's good. But you've got to accept him until your life. And there's a change. God says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Old things have passed away, all things are made. There's a change. We don't, we don't walk the same anymore. We don't talk the same anymore. Just like uh the merchant man, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a tangent here. He says, he's seeking a pearl of good price. Then going will so we'll switch gears for a second. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. And he found one pearl of great price. He sold all he had and bought it. Let me tell you something. Why did Jesus describe that as a pearl? Let's see, a pearl is a mollusk. It means he has no bones. And every single pearl starts as a grain of sand, a piece of dirt from the bottom. That's like every one, single one of us. When we, when, we, when we walk this life lost, we're at the bottom. And when, with that pearl, when, he, when that sand gets in that pearl, it starts to pierce and agitate. And he's got what they call a mantle on him. And the mantle starts secreting what they call nacre and starts to cover that dirt. It starts to cover that piece of sand. And it keeps covering and covering and covering and covering. And soon it doesn't hurt anymore. Soon that pearl is adopted into that oyster. That oyster adopts it as part of his own into his life. But, and, and then when, the, when it's shucked out, an olive jeweler will, will, will take that pearl. It's still a piece of dirt. That just like us, we're just dust. When the blood covers us, we cover and cover and cover, and pretty soon we're new. We don't look the same anymore. We don't look like a piece of dirt. We don't look like the world. We don't walk like the world. Pretty soon, we're wow. We talk different. We look different. We walk different. And a knowledgeable jeweler will tell you, if you, take, if you buy an expensive pearl, you have to sometimes take it out and touch it. The oil of your hands has to get the sheen back. And it's just like us. When we, get back, when we start getting away from God, when we start talking, we, 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 get, we need a touch. We need the Holy Spirit to put that oil back on our life. And once that begins to happen and we get that sheen back, your eyes are focused. People, you can look people in the eyes. The light is not dark. It's light. And you can walk different. You can talk different. And this is just like what Jesus said. The, merchant man, the ch- pearl is like the church, us as people. And the pearl of a great price, that's you. You know, you, were, you had one in two million chances of being here, brother. When God says, love your neighbor as yourself, that's a new commandment. If you can't love yourself, you can't share love to others. You have to look at God not egotistically. Thank you Lord. I got ten fingers. I can see. I can think. I'm special because God made me special not because I'm anything special but because he has put his blood in me. Thank you Lord. You created me and you've got a purpose. Smile to somebody. Invite somebody to church. You might not be able to take this book. And, and just, just sit on somebody and intelligently explain the gospel to them. I mean, you might not be able to do that. It's falling apart. See, I, I, can, I couldn't do it one time, but I can do it now. But we can, everybody can sit there and say, please come to church. Or, hey, I got a good church. Hey, I, hey, and let them see that light. Let them see that shine. Let them see that glory on you that and something different. There's a cloud over him. There's a fire. There's a, hey, I, I think I will come. Everybody can smile to somebody. Everybody can invite somebody. Everybody can pray for somebody. That is inviting people. There's there's a thousand ways we can shine in God's eyes. So if we all don't have the same ability, like I can't play the piano. I'd love to play. When I, I sing high, I, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna sing bass. I love bass. I play a bass. Let me tell you something. I can't play corn like you, brother. But let me tell you something. We can when we're walking through. And you plant your cornfield, I don't have to jump up my car and say, You're a cornfield. No, it identifies itself. You can find out, that's a nice cornfield. So we don't pass judgment, but we can we can we can identify ourselves as Christians by the way we walk, by the way we talk. Because when we're doing things by this book, people can say, There's something different. There's a shine, there's something about him. And uh i about out of time. I don't know why I got on the washer. <laughs> I get excited about, because it's, every time I read a verse in this Bible, I'm telling you, I can take this Bible right here and go to any verse in it and read it and study it, cross-reference it, go back and forth and find something in there that I didn't know before. And I, Every verse, and it's profitable. Too many times it cuts me. And I don't like it, but I study it every single day. I'm in this book. And that's going to finish me up with this right here. When you go a day without reading this Bible, you'll go another day. And when you go two days, you'll go three. And next thing you know, you lose your shine. We start talking different. We start thinking different. We need, some, we need to get refreshed every day. Every day in this word, we have to get in it. Your prayer life will change because you can't approach a holy God. It's like planting a garden. You plant a garden, you're all excited about it and you start picking and picking and picking. You go, up, go on vacation for a day or two or three, three days. You come back and say, look at all. You pull the best you can. You pull the best you can. Say, Pretty soon you've got all you want and you look at it. That's oh, too much work. Too much work to pull these weeds. I'm going to just let it choke itself out and I'll do better next year. And that's how our lives is. When we let the weeds of this life come into our life and they grow and they take root, if we don't get in there and pull them out by the roots every single day, every single day pull these roots out of our hearts and out of our lives. It's got to be a daily walk. Take up the cross and fire. If we don't take these roots and just pull them up, pretty soon it'll choke the word out. It'll choke our lives out. And pretty soon it'll be too I'll do it tomorrow. Uh, and our thought process changes. Let me tell you something. We have to take a daily walk with this book, with this book, with the Lord, with our brothers. Don't come in here saying, well, I complain about this and complain about that. And oh, man, I don't like this up here. I don't. Look, Be thankful we got so free, country just come in here and we can worship free. Pray for our brothers. Even if they despitefully say something to you. Don't overlook it. They're not in here. Pray that they'll get in here. Let's pray for each other. Let's uplift each other. Let's edify each other. And I am out of time. I got, I, got, I had to, let me tell you. I have to finish up next time. Tabernacle is more than just a structure. This fire by day and fire by night is more than just a story in the Bible.
1: You listen to Deacon Danny Kahoot. For more information, visit our website at bufordroadbaptistchurch.com.